Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Dr. John Jerica. John is a family physician with a long history of doing non-clinical work. He currently serves as a medical director of an urgent care center, and he's also the podcast host of his podcast called Physician Non-Clinical Careers Podcast. He's also the co-founder of NewScript, which is a membership platform for licensed clinicians with a community free live streams, recorded videos, interviews, and other resources to help clinicians thrive in today's healthcare environment. In this episode, John and I focus on and we chat about how healthcare providers can overcome burnout by looking at non-clinical careers. You don't want to miss this episode. You'll learn something from John's experience, his knowledge, and his story. So grab your drink of choice and join us. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you, Jennifer? I'm great. Thank you. I'm happy that you're here. How are you? I'm very happy to be here. Um, I kind of listened to some of your podcast episodes and took a look at your book. And yeah, you are uh, talk a lot about things that impact a lot of clinicians, many of whom have gone through exactly what you are talking about, uh, you know, with burnout and moral injury and all these other things that are occurring to physicians and other clinicians because of the health system. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm so excited to have you here because I know that, you know, through your practice as a family physician and pivoting into non-clinical, like you have so much experience and I think you can give a a big picture lens to what's going on today to support clinicians. So, All right, I'll do my best. Let's do it. So tell us about yourself, John. Okay. Well, I'm a family physician that goes back over 30 years and I've practiced most of those uh, years. I went actually about three and a half years without seeing a single patient while I was chief medical officer of a hospital 
I did that for 14 years. In the last three, I didn't see any patients. Prior to that, I was doing a little part-time. But I've held a lot of non-clinical positions. And in different times in my life, I've been slightly burned out. Third points in my career where I just hated patients. And at the same time, I really like doing the management. I like finances. I like uh, healthcare finances and management and leadership. And so I naturally kind of drifted over towards that CMO role and started cutting down on patients. And then uh, about, well, let's see now, six years ago, seven, I decided, you know, I have one more big thing to do in my life. So I left that CMO job and I opened an urgent care center with some other investors and we built it up to three centers, sort of middle of the pandemic, because we, two of them were focused mostly on just testing. And then once the pandemic settled down, we closed the one that was a testing only site. We have two sites now. We're hoping on having another two. And my goal is to somehow cash out. You know, I don't, I, I, I'm the medical director, so I still interact with the PAs and the NPs and the staff over there, but I haven't set foot in the clinic in about four or five months as I've slowed down and kind of, I guess you wouldn't call it fully retired, but close to it. And focusing on these other things like podcasts and other things that I'm doing uh, regarding non-clinical careers. So when you got into your practice as a family physician, did you, or into that profession, what, what was your inspiration at that time? Was it to work with patients? Was it patient care, like most people say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I didn't really know what being a physician really was going to be like. But to me, I got good grades. I like science. My heroes were Dr. Kildare and Ben Casey. But some most of your listeners don't even know who those people are, but they were TV doctors. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I had a doctor when I was a kid. I had a lot of ear infections and he did house calls. He'd come to my house with my other nine siblings and he would give me a shot of penicillin and my ear infection would go away. And then after a few years of that, I got my tonsils out and I had never had another ear infection. But anyway, that was what I had the vision of a physician. So when I went into medicine, my grandfather used to say, you've got to specialize but I couldn't imagine it. You know, I wanted to be a family doctor. I want to take care of everything, the 90% of pretty much the run of the mill things. And so that's what I did. And I, when I went into practice, I did OB for eight years. I did Mm. pediatrics. I worked in the nursery to get patients and, um, saw, you know, people up until their nineties and the end of life. Wow. I really respect the fact that, um, that you pivoted because you, you know, eventually burned out and you kind of felt like you didn't want to work with patients anymore. And I think that takes a lot of courage for someone to say and admit, like when you said it, it kind of like was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I was taken aback by it. But you said it so like confidently and like, like it was just the natural next thing for you to do. And um, I just, I think that's great. And I think that part of, you know, stress burnout on providers right now could be that they're in you know, roles that maybe they don't want to be in that don't align with them anymore. And people just stay stuck there. So can you speak to that a little bit? Has that been your experience now on the coaching and mentoring side of things? Well, yes. And ideally, though, when you're switching careers, you know, whether you're going to non-clinical or something, whatever it might be, ideally, you're being drawn to something. <laughs> so, right. That's what I was going to ask. Under, yeah. Unfortunately, for most of us, you know, it, it doesn't start out that way. But I think sometimes the reason we get burned out is, you know, maybe we're not really fully you know, ready for, or our, our passion, our emotional state, everything where we are in life is really consistent with the way that what we're doing and what others are doing is happening. In other words, 
you know, maybe it was 15 years ago, but now there's just something wrong. Something has changed, whether it's EMRs or whether it's the volume, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be, it just doesn't fit into what I thought practicing medicine was, which is sitting down with a patient mm-hmm. for 30 minutes and getting a good history and building rapport, you know, and nowadays a lot of my colleagues are in family medicine. They're lucky if they have 10 minutes with a patient and they're rushing through and they spend more time doing paperwork. And so some of those younger docs understand that's the way it is, but for the older generation, they didn't. The other thing is that medicine in general and nursing and, you know, working in the hospital, working in the ER, whatever your career is in doing that, it's really taxing uh, physically somewhat and emotionally and mentally it is taxing. You know, we, uh, when we're in it, we're thinking, okay, this is just my job. I do it every day. It's not a big deal, but the reality is it takes a toll. And so for me, sometimes I see people who, you know, they may have just worked 20, 25 years. It's just time to move on and use their skills and their abilities to do something else and, and not continue with that heavy emotional and mental stress. Mm-hmm. Even for myself, like I had caught COVID twice actually. And oh, no. having yeah, it sucked. And having to take an extended time off. Like I was someone who never took time off other than my scheduled vacation days, like rarely ever called in sick. So when I went back to work <laughs> and since I've been back, I've recognized, you know, I'm a physio on an inpatient rehab unit. I've recognized exactly what you said there, like how physically, cognitively, you know, energetically, mentally, like it's all of it in healthcare. We we have all of those energy demands on on us at once. And that's each and every day. But when you're in it, you don't question it. You just keep doing it until you step back a bit and and look in. So yeah, that's a good point. Can you tell us, so speaking of which, the great resignation that's happening right now, why doctors are leaving the bedside or why clinicians are, a lot of nurses are as well. What's your perspective on that? And should we be concerned? Oh, I think we should be very concerned. I'm just from my perspective in talking to people about switching out completely and doing something non-clinical. Even though when I'm talking about non-clinical, I'm always talking about moving into something where you're applying your knowledge, your medical knowledge, your knowledge of the healthcare system and wherever you happen to be, which is a little different, let's say in Canada or UK than it is in the US. But to use that and do something else that's fulfilling and, and brings passion. But I do think to get back to your question, it's, yeah, I'm, it's anecdotal, but when I started doing my podcast, because I want to learn about these non-clinical options, I could barely find coaches out there. I can list on one hand, and I went to every website, every meeting I could find about non-clinical careers. And there, were, there basically were like five, maybe 10 people that had been doing anything with this for more than a year or two. Now there, I could probably list hundreds, if not thousands of just on the physician side, coaches and in the nursing side too, because a lot of overlap, we we run into each other quite a bit um, in conferences and so forth. So I see that and I see the demand going up and I see that, you know, people are listening to my podcast and they're emailing me every day. I mean, and these are, some of them are medical students saying, I don't know if I can go another day or past graduation from this medical school. I don't think I can go to residency or in the middle of residency saying I'm already burnt out. And just as an aside, when I talk to people that are burned out in med school and residency, they don't get unburnt out when they go into practice. The burnout continues usually, which is not a good sign. So anecdotally to me, I think there's a lot of people that are 
in the middle of some pain and they're planning on leaving or cutting back their hours or doing something that isn't really going to be enough to support all the patients out there going forward, which I don't think there's enough now. So it's only going to get worse from what I can see. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, 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 that's one of the things I've read is that medical students are one of the most burned out, um, up and coming professionals. And yeah, you have to wonder how we can, I don't know, help them manage or, uh, better foster a more supportive environment. So, I know you don't have all of the answers, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I think the, the fact that you guide people in this space is one of them for sure, especially if their heart is still in healthcare and they just, they still want to have that impact. So can you speak to some of maybe the most common non-clinical careers that you might be coming across nowadays that people are kind of ex experimenting or exploring and seeing what fits? Yeah, I mean, there, there are increasing a variety of non-clinical, but the ones that are the most common, there's like six or seven big categories, at least for the physician side. And it does flow over to the other clinicians as well, because just think about where the money is spent. Hmm. So in the healthcare and the hospital and health systems, you know, in the U S they're, they're nonprofit and for-profit. And, you know, I don't know, in other countries, it might be more owned by the government or at least heavily regulated by the government. But anyway, it's, there's a lot of employment of people managing and, you know, like someone in your position, I'm sure your department had a manager who probably was clinical or a director. Right. And so that's like the natural thing. And just, you can get to the point where if you're in a big enough organization uh, and you have a big enough department where you can do that full time, because it just takes a full time and you just give up patient care. But what you're doing is obviously helping the people who report to you and helping all the patients in that, at that site. So that's why I like being CMO, chief mm -hmm. medical officer, because I was basically over quality improvement and safety, uh, the pharmacy. I always had the pharmacist was sort of my partner for the full 14 years I was there. And we were helping patients. We were improving quality. We were doing all those things. So health, health systems is one big one. The other one that I wasn't aware of in the past, but it's becoming much, I'm becoming much more aware of is the pharma. You know, it's about 10% of the budget in the United States is pharma. The hospitals are about 25%. And so there are thousands and thousands of jobs for physicians, nurses, pharmacists, uh, PAs, NPs in pharma. And they obviously help patients, but there's no direct patient care unless you happen to be in a, in a research protocol or something. And even there, it's kind of an arm's length because you're not really their primary care. You just, you know, they're part of your research. So pharma is another big one. In the U.S., we have a huge industry, which is the insurance companies. So, and with the insurance companies, you've got people that go into coding and documentation. You've got people that do utilization management, benefits management, uh, and those are all people that have to understand, you know, how the system works and how to jump through the hoops to get care. So it's just, yeah. it's funny because the government puts this in place and then you have to build an entire industry around it to make it happen. Wow. Yeah. Medical writing is huge. Anybody mm -hmm. can do that. Any clinician can do medical, we call it medical writing, but it's really just healthcare related topics for uh, and a lot of people do it. It's easy. It's freelance. It's on your own schedule. Doesn't pay as much, but if you get good at it, you can you know definitely make a living at that. And or being an editor, 
Um, and then everything after that kind of drops off uh, to all kinds of jobs in public health, the government, things like consulting, freelance consulting, or working for a big national or international firm, of which there are dozens, and they all hire clinicians to work for them, none of whom do patient care. Wow. So that it's more for your knowledge, your expertise, and maybe your experiences. Right. Yeah. Okay. And the question I get a lot of times from physicians in particular is, well, can I do any of those things if I haven't been residency trained? I don't have board certification. Mm-hmm. And there's certain ones in there, the medical writing you can do, the consulting you can do. Some had a consultant once tell me, yeah, we like to hire physicians right out of medical school because they haven't been warped by practicing medicine. <laughs> you know, they don't have, <laughs> they're not jaded. <laughs> have you ever had like a doctor that you were interacted with and he was, he or she was very opinionated, thought they <laughs> yeah. knew everything. See, they don't want those people in the <laughs> consulting. So they go a little earlier sometimes and they, yeah. so they can train them their own way. Yeah, but there's exactly. all these jobs out there. And most of us have no idea because it's not really something that none of our professors want us to know those jobs are there because they don't want us to do that. They want us to see patients and take mm-hmm. care of patients. Wow. And so being a medical director, like part of what your office or even the non-urgent care, like the urgent care, um, you have patients coming through your doors. So, so I mean, you still are supporting clinicians, I would assume in their roles of being in direct care. So I know you might not have all the answers to this, but when it comes to burnout, John, like, I don't know if Mm -hmm. you're, I don't know if you're the person maybe staff would go to, um, I know you would understand, um, but I'm sure there's probably somebody in between. Um, what are like what are things that organizations can do, or even at a systems level, to help people stay at the bedside if that's what they want, or if they want to be in direct care if that's what they want? I I don't know if what how, you know what you think about answering that, but I'm just I always like to no, hear I, people's I, I definitely have an opinion about that. Yeah, it is a huge waste of resources for your nurses and your physicians and your therapists to burn out, leave, become anxious, depressed, go on medical leave because they're suicidal or actually commit suicide and kill themselves. I mean, that's all, or just have people leave because they're burnt out. It's a big waste of resources, huge. And uh, when you have physicians, nurses, and other clinicians that are burnt out, unhappy, um, the care suffers. So there's logical reasons why you should. I think it kind of gets to the basis of your question, right? Because mm-hmm. you know that that yeah. obviously we should be devoting resources to this because we don't want everyone to be burned out and leave medicine and, and clinical care. Right. So there are some things that have been shown. I'm not the expert in doing that. I've actually interviewed several coaches whose coaching is around helping organizations to f- help their physicians and nurses and others to overcome burnout. Now, it's funny because the one question I always ask these people, okay, you're involved with creating programs to, you know, help with burnout. How many hospitals adopt these things? Usually a hospital or or a big clinic, you know, clinic, you know, like Mayo Clinic or something like that with hundreds, if not thousands of physicians and tens of thousands of clinicians. And they really know what they should do. And none of them do it very well that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm try it for a year or two. They give it lip service. But even I've, this is a coach who actually goes to the institutions and builds these programs. And I've asked them, you know, is it working? It it kind of works, but they just lose interest and they don't keep it up and they don't take it seriously because we have, for the most part in the U S 
mostly non-physicians, non-clinicians running hospitals. There's a fair number of nurses who become CNOs and then they end up being a CEO. But other than that, most of them are MBAs and MHAs. And I really have come to believe that they have really no understanding of the clinician-patient relationship. They just, it's a business. And uh, actually, I was listening to a podcast uh, where you interviewed a doctor from Oh, gosh, I forget. Anyways, uh, he was saying that he just lost, you know, all interest in it, in, in being a physician because they had taken the fun and the the passion and the understanding of patients out of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with that. Yeah. And that's like part of what the research is showing exactly what what that um, guest of yours said is that they're just not organizations are just not sustaining it, um, or they're just not able to do it well enough, or they give up on it too soon. And one of the solutions to um, helping staff overcome burnout was to value the direct care interaction and, and to, mm-hmm. to place that emphasis. And and I'm glad you kind of spoke to this a little bit, because that was the, my next question for you actually was the fact that I love that you empower you know, the clinician's voice and believe that they should be in leadership roles. Um, so can you speak a little more to that? I know you touched on it right now, but um, because you're right, a lot of times it's someone in business, maybe someone with a law background. Um, some, you know, sometimes it's nursing too. Like I, I find the hospital system and long-term care here in in Canada and Ontario is predominantly like nursing when when you're talking like higher leadership roles. But yeah, so do you see that that could possibly change in the future? Because I do wonder if, you know, if it would help um, organizations and frontline staff if a clinician was also um, well, at that level. You know, again, the system I'm in has changed in the last 50 years quite a bit. And in the 50s, about half of hospitals were run and most of them were actually owned by physicians. You know, it was just an outgrowth of medicine. And so then it became more corporate ownership. And now it's less than 5%. Every year, there are different surveys that come out about quality of care and patient satisfaction. And uh, I think it's the, I forget the magazine, but anyway, it puts out a yearly survey. And every year, about more than half of the hospitals are ranked number one in the country here in the U.S. are actually run by physicians even though less than 5% country are run by physicians. So again, this goes to my thinking that clinicians understand how that relationship works. You know, that's, and and I got to see it up close because, you know, I was in the C-suite every week and I was listening to the CFO and the CEO. And I mean, really there were times when I just said, you know, we're not gonna listen to that doctor because he's, he's a cranky, he's, he's a, a complainer. And it was never like, no, there's a reason, you know, there is something behind what this doctor is saying. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what you and the C-suite are doing necessarily, but you have to take what that doctor or that nurse says at face value because they're in there taking care of these people. Well, the other mm-hmm. part of that too, that I wanted to mention is that to me, the patients are just as unhappy as we are. I mean, what patient wants to be treated like, you know, on a conveyor belt and you come in, you have five minutes with your doctor. They tell you, they give you, throw some medicine at you, tell you to go do this, that, and the other. And in, in this country, you know, you get stuck with a huge bill mm-hmm. and you'd even wonder why you had that test done. There's no time for, uh, you know, a conversation about it. So everybody's unhappy. So I don't see a lot changing yet, but it's going to have to, because at some point the patients are going to get so unhappy that they're going to just 
you know, force the politicians in this country and maybe in Canada and other places to, to do something different. Yeah. And I think if this pandemic has brought out anything, it's the fact that healthcare needs more attention on that front too, right? Like I feel like we're always on the back burner, um, but yet it's something that connects each and every one of us and we all need it. And I I do think that we take it for granted, like here in Ontario, like we've had a couple ERs have to close down and or reduce their hours. And, you know, an ER, you would never think ever in in a lifetime, right? We take advantage we take that for granted, I think, you know, now. <laughs> now I see around the, I see around the edges, things are happening. I think in, in, you even had guests talk about this, like the telemedicine, you know, mm-hmm. telemedicine was growing before the pandemic, but it's kind of cre- it's just blossomed since the pandemic. And there is a lot you can do and patients love it. Okay. So that was something that people weren't adopting too quickly before. And now they are. So that might be a good thing. And then I think you had a guest that talked about DPC or direct patient care and, you know, just the, the family doctor, the pediatrician, maybe taking back some control and then the patients are happy, right? They don't mind if they have to pay for it in a different way. If they can call and see you or talk to you on the phone and really get things taken care of. So you just have to keep moving more and more in that direction. Yeah. And maybe things will recycle around. I find sometimes that happens, like you said, 50 years ago or the fifties where physicians owned more of their practice and um, fully operated them. That maybe that empowerment needs to to come back around. And I, today I was chatting with a, a patient who was speaking of this, of their interactions with their family physician, just couldn't see them. You know, it was during COVID, it was a physician's choice to do everything through phone. And, mm. and, you know, and that was not something this person kind of was too thrilled about. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I think some patients, it does really work well, but for some where there's accessibility issues and things like that, um, certain demographics, we still haven't quite um, been able to reach, I think. So yeah, but definitely a lot of opportunity. Um, can you tell me more about New Script? I know that this is, um, you know, an app and a membership mm-hmm. platform that you've designed for clinicians to help them thrive and overcome stress and frustration where they're at? Yes. I've had this friend, Tom Davis, who's an expert in telemedicine. He's a consultant. He's done a lot of non-clinical, but before he was a family doctor for 25, 30 years as well. And we both have been looking for different ways to help, mostly physicians, but other clinicians as well. And so he came up with this idea to why can't we come up with a community where we invite all kinds of clinicians in with similar issues And we tried different iterations of it. And then last year, we decided to create an app. Now, we just piggybacked on uh, Disciple Media, which creates a platform for anyone to create their own app. So we did that. And we created it like as a sort of a Facebook lookalike, because I used to be the moderator for a Facebook group that I didn't start. But there are now almost 20,000 physicians in that Facebook group. Mm -hmm. It's the Physician Non-Clinical Career Hunters Facebook group. And the thing is, though, like a Facebook group, number one, it's not private. You know, I mean, it's sort of private, but anyone can see who's in there. Mm-hmm. There are many physicians and other clinicians will not set foot on Facebook. And I just don't like that as a social media site. And it, you just scroll through it. It's one feed. And so when something happens two weeks ago, it's like impossible to find it. So we kind of created a lookalike, but it has separate categories, either by uh, type of situation, whether you're looking at, you know, burnout or, you know, a career type or a specialty, you know, you know, like background. So it's for nurses, dentists, 
podiatrists, physicians, uh, any kind of therapist, any licensed healthcare professional. It's still growing. We only have like three subgroups within it, but you can, we, I can create any feed we want. And so that way you can find things and you can be with a cohort within your field and then also within the larger, you know, uh, community. Mm-hmm. And Tom and I threw as much stuff as we could in there, you know, like things that I've done, copies of old podcasts, you know, talking about non-clinical careers and live streams that we do every week. And he does mentorship on there. And we've invited mentors, you know, people in these fields, experts, coaches, and so forth. So they'll interact with anybody who's in NewScript. And so we're hoping that together it'll kind of reach a certain size and to where everyone can get what they need if they're burnt out, if they're just unhappy, if they're looking for alternatives. Because what I get the most of people contacting me is like, I'm unhappy and I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. That's like a hard question to answer you yeah, know, without yeah. doing one-on-one coaching. Right. I do tiny. I don't do much of that. Yeah. So, you know, and so, you know how that is. It's everyone's kind of starts from the same point. Like, okay, right. what do we do to start? Right kind of unclear at that point. Yeah. yeah. So this would be a good way for people to to get involved, to gain a little more clarity and maybe kind of find their way a little bit more. So is there a membership fee? Is it like a monthly There is fee? now. For the first 300, it was just gratis, you know, it's come in. So we have a lot of the founding members are still in there, but it's tiny and it's less than $5. I think it's like four ninety seven or something. I'm not sure where that we came up with that number, but you know, and you can join and you can leave whenever you like. And yeah, you can go to, uh, let me give you the link for that yeah. nonclinicalphysicians.com, which is my website, but slash new script. And it brings you actually to the page that kind of explains more about it. And if you want to join, you can join. Now, if you're a coach or you're an expert in any of these fields, you can contact me directly, however you want to do that. And we'll just get you in for free because we want you to join in and mentor these people. And you, and by the way, for the mentors that are in there, they can sell their things as well. If they have courses, if they have coaching, that's fine. Tell everybody yeah. about it they can do that with you. We're just kind of there to get everyone together. Right. And I think that's a big piece for healthcare providers is that community. We don't have enough of that in our everyday practice because we're busy running around and then on a global scale, um, you know, and now that we can all connect virtually, I think it it's a great idea. So we'll attach that to the show notes. And you also have a podcast, John. Can you tell yes, us about your podcast too? Okay, the podcast, it's a weekly podcast where I talk about non-clinical, and actually I'll say non-traditional or alternative careers, because I I lump in any of the uh, non-typical clinical things, you know, whether it's a med spa or DPC or telemedicine's a big one, and even locum tenens, you know, because you get a lot more control and freedom in doing that with some planning, but then it's all the non-clinical. So I just basically interview Uh, mostly physicians who are doing non-clinical work of some sort. Sometimes it's part-time, sometimes it's full-time. And then sometimes I do solo episodes where I just talk about what I want to talk about. And uh, yeah, it's been going on for, I don't know, about five years now, I think. Wow. In October. Anyway, about 247 episodes so far. That's awesome. That's quite milestone. You know, not many people (laughs) make it that far. So that's awesome. I appreciate that. And so do you have any final words for our listeners before we sign off and um, before you give some information as to where they can connect with you? Sure. I think, you know, if I know, you know, your audience uh, and similar in some ways to mine, Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us are looking for something because we're unhappy or we're feeling 
burned out or stressed or anxious or we're caught in, maybe we lost our job, you know, during the pandemic. I mean, lots of things that we just don't know where to go because no one ever told us that was going to happen. And so the thing is, I would give a little bit of advice because I think it's a common thing. So first is take a deep breath and step back a little bit and just don't rush into anything. Okay. Try and, you know, figure out what's really going to happen, where you're, where you stand. And, and then the second is to get help in some way that could just be networking, just reach out to friends, former colleagues from school, from your, you know, professional school, because other people are going through this and they've already sorted some of that out and then keep the faith because if you're in medicine, if you're, if you're a clinician in a hospital or in a clinic, you are a very bright person, number one, and you're very dedicated, number two, and you have a lot to offer. So believe me, there's somebody out there, there's a business, there's a company, there's a group, there's a partner, somebody that wants you and can create a situation uh, for you or you can create it yourself where it'll be a lot better than it is right now. Love that, John. Thank you so much. And where should people just reach out to you? Do you have a website specifically? Yeah, my website's non-clinical physicians. So it's nonclinicalphysicians.com. Beautiful. And you can reach me there. And I, I actually, the podcast is posted there, although you can listen on any podcast app because it's out there on all those Spotify and Apple podcasts and all that. Great. And you have um, social media on there as well where people could connect? Yes. I, okay. uh, I have a Facebook page and... Uh, you can find me LinkedIn. I kind of prefer interacting with people. So connecting. So yeah, look me up on LinkedIn, just my name, John Jerica, and we could connect with anybody. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for being here and I hope people do reach out. I hope people check out new script and your podcast because this is um, an element that I think can, yeah, just add another piece to the bigger picture and support providers and empower them where they're at and where they're going. So thank you so much for being here. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, John. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jenniferGeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.